Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and I am so thrilled to be able to offer my new exclusive content premium subscription with Apple Podcasts. Go right to it and subscribe. It's $2.99 a month, less than a cup of coffee. And I think you'll find that it's really helpful stuff. It's from feedback from all of you. And I have really targeted topics that we could dive into. So check it out. And of course, if you enjoy any of the episodes, please don't forget to give a rating and even write a little review. Since it's just us, I want to start with a short meditation. And since Thanksgiving's coming up, today we're going to do a short meditation on gratitude and joy from Insight Meditation Institute. So wherever you are, just take a deep breath in. Breathe out and just think about how gratitude is a gracious acknowledgement of all that sustains us. It is an acknowledgement of things big and small and appreciation of moments of good fortune that sustain our life every day. And we can find so much to be grateful for. Gratitude is confidence in life itself. Gratitude gladdens the heart. It's not sentimental. It's not jealous. It's not judgmental. It does not envy or compare. Gratitude receives in wonder the myriad offerings of the rain and the earth, the care that supports every single life. And as gratitude grows, it genuinely gives rise to joy. We experience the courage to just be part of our own good fortune, to feel it and in the good fortune of others. <sighs> joy is natural to an open, grateful heart. And like gratitude, joy gladdens the heart. And we can be joyful for people we love for moments of goodness. We can be joyful for sunlight and trees and for the breath within our bodies. And as joy grows, we can discover happiness without cause. Imagine what it's like to be an innocent child who does not have to do anything to be happy. 
We can just rejoice in life itself. So now let's just sit here together. Let yourself sit quietly and at ease. Allow your body to be relaxed and open. Your breath natural, your heart easy. And begin the practice of gratitude by feeling how year after year you have cared for your own life. And now let yourself begin to acknowledge how you are caring for your child's life or your grandchild's life or your student's life and anyone that has been supported by you in this care. With gratitude, I remember the people, the animals, the plants, the creatures of the sky and sea, air and water, fire and earth, all those joyful exertions bless my life every day. Just keep your breath with ease. With gratitude, I remember the care and labor of a thousand generations of elders and ancestors who came before me. I offer my gratitude for the safety and well-being I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the blessings of this earth I have been given. I offer gratitude for the measure of health I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the family and friends I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the community I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the teachings and lessons I've been given. I offer my gratitude for the life I have been given. And just as we are grateful for our blessings, so too can we be grateful for the blessings of others, particularly our children. So continue to breathe gently. Bring to mind child, children that you care about. A child is so easy to rejoice for. So picture them and feel the natural joy you have for their well-being, for their happiness, for their success. And with each breath, offer them your grateful, heartfelt wishes. May you be joyful. May your happiness increase. May you not be separated from your happiness. May your good fortune and the causes for joy and happiness increase. And with each phrase, just starting with may you be joyful, when you feel some degree of natural gratitude for the happiness of this child or this loved one, you can expand and extend this practice to another person that you care about. And you can recite the same simple phrases that express your heart's intention. 
May you be joyful. May your happiness increase. May you not be separated from your happiness. May your good fortune and the causes for your joy and happiness increase. Then you can gradually open the meditation to include neutral people, even difficult people. And this is such a wonderful thing to do as the holidays are coming upon us because sometimes with all this gratitude and all this joy, we also have some interactions with difficult people in our lives. And so if you can extend sympathetic joy to all beings everywhere, you will feel so much readiness and gratitude entering even the most challenging Thanksgiving experiences. Ah, Thank you for taking time to be good to yourself and do a mindfulness practice with me. I use mindfulness practices from Jack Kornfield and Tara Brock and Insight Meditation, but there are just so many different versions that you can use. Whatever speaks to you, whatever helps you get a sense of ease and a place that you can go to when things are feeling a little bit crazy, especially this time of year. But now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsor, PM Pediatric Care. PM Pediatric Care is the nation's largest provider of pediatric urgent care with convenient access to world-class pediatric experts at 77 locations nationwide. And each PM Pediatric Care location is staffed with specially trained pediatric experts who can treat everything from injuries that require stitches to broken bones to infections to asthma. Also, PM Pediatric Care has information if you have any questions by phone or email when you're wondering if that's the right place to be. PM Pediatric Care is designed to complement the care from a patient primary physician. I recently had PM Pediatric Care Senior Medical Advisor, Dr. Christina Johns, on the show, and we talked about a lot of the pediatric emergencies that she tends to see during this holiday season. It's important to know exactly where you're going to go if anything happens, but of course, we hope nothing does. PM Pediatric Care also offers a program that addresses myriad of behavioral health concerns called PM Behavioral Health. PM Pediatric Care treats children and young adults from 0 to 26 years of age. For more information about PM Pediatric Care, and a list of locations, visit pmpediatriccare.com, pmpediatriccare.com. Typical children's vitamins are really candy in disguise, typically filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk growing kids really don't need to eat. So that's why Hi was created. It's the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. Now, of course, ideally you eat the most wide variety of foods and get all your vitamins that way. But the reality is that sometimes kids need a little extra something to get what they need. And Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals including the important vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, 
mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. Plus, it's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else free that you could possibly imagine. And it's kind of fun because you can decorate the refillable container with stickers, and it's good for the environment and fun for the kids. So we have a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin to receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash humans. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash humans because this deal is not available on their regular website. And get your kids the full body nourishment they need. So the reason I wanted to do a solo episode is because I've been getting so many DMs on my Instagram at Raising Good Humans podcast, where I really want to encourage you to continue to reach out. There are times that I try to answer them by doing a reel and it's one minute. And there are times when I do those stories in Instagram or whatever, and they give you one minute. And it's a great practice to try to answer these questions in one minute, but sometimes it's just not possible. So I've pulled a few questions that were lengthier that felt pretty universal, and I'm just going to sit here with you and answer them. The questions I chose are for age range of two to six years old. So the first question is this. Hi, Dr. Aliza. I'm hoping you can help me. My daughter turning four in April is a very loving girl. She likes to give hugs, gets very excited to see her friends, always wants to wait for her friends after school, walk to the car together, etc. And I've been noticing lately that the other children do not reciprocate, shunning from hugs, not saying hi, or acknowledging her when she waits for them. Today, she was in an after-school program with some of the kids from her class, and the parents were there, and I witnessed an incident where a boy in her class that she kept trying to engage with was almost recoiling. And at the end of the class, she told me she wanted to wait for him to walk out together, but the boy responded, I don't want you to wait for me. I don't want to wait with you. She got upset and said that she wanted to wait with the boy, and he repeated what he said. I try to tell her that sometimes people just want to be by themselves and that it's okay because I know, as you say, all feelings are welcome. And I told her, I know that you're upset about it. She told me she felt sad. And I said, I know this boy is entitled to his feelings, but what do I say to my daughter when this continuously happens? I'm overly sensitive, but my heart breaks and I do not want all of these rejections for lack of a better word to her overtures to crush her spirits. I'm such a huge fan of you and your podcast, and I would love to know how you would advise a parent in this situation with much gratitude. This is so heartbreaking, and I feel how heartbreaking it is for you, and I think that many parents experience this. And there are a few things that I just want to point out. The first is it's so wonderful that you're paying attention and you're noticing that she might be struggling with something because what she's looking for in her connections, other kids are maybe not only not looking for, but actually rejecting her because of it. So because you're noticing this early, you can help her practice reading social cues. And it's not so much about rejection or acceptance as it is about teaching her how to dance with people. And so When she's talking to you about how it makes her sad, it's okay not to 
make her feel better about it, it's okay to just acknowledge that makes you really sad because you want so much to reach out to this person and they don't want you to be there. And then you can say, you know, I wonder if there have ever been any times when you've been busy doing something else and someone's tried to play with you or reach out to you. And even though you like them, you didn't feel like hanging out with them or you didn't feel like a hug right then or whatever it is. And she may be able to understand their perspective of that, that there could be a different interpretation or mental state of another because she is old enough. She's four. On the other hand, she might not recognize that. And you might want to do some pretend play with her and not in the heat of the moment when she's sad. In that case, you just want to let her feel her sad and then say, I see that you really want to give lots of love to this person and it's not something that they want to hear right now. And it's really important to respect other people's physical space if they don't want hugs and also their emotional space if they don't want to play with you. And then you can give her a hug and a kiss and say, I always welcome hugs. And then you can move along and she can be sad. And that is just so supportive. You're just there for her to feel her feelings, but you don't need to fix them. And then I think because you notice that others are recoiling, which is the word that you used, if you notice other people are recoiling at the bids that your kids are offering them, it can be helpful to assess if that is happening more often than not. In this case, it sounds like it's happening quite a bit. So if that's the case, this child really needs your support reading social cues. And you can at some point at home, talk about what happened and talk about different circumstances and create pretend play scenarios. You can have her be you and you show her what it's like when you're trying to hug and she's trying to recoil and what that looks like. And you can pause your pretend play and notice the recoiling part. Let's say you take on the role and show her what recoiling is. And then you could say, does my body language seem like I want a hug or I don't want a hug? And then you can ask her, can you show me with your body language what it seems like if you want a hug and what it seems like if you don't want a hug? And you can do those kinds of activities where you're having her practice and it's all playful. So, you know, It's not to criticize her or make her feel embarrassed. It's really to just show her, okay, so now when you're with other people, let's see if you can detect whether they seem like they want to play or maybe they seem like right now they don't want to play. And that way you can help grow these skills so that she can do this social dance a little more accurately And then she'll have better appraisals of what's going on and she will be less likely to reach out to people who are going to reject her. Now, the flip side of this is she doesn't seem to be too thrown off by the rejection because she's not stopping making these bids for attention. So actually, I don't think it's sounding like she's feeling so much ongoing pain, maybe in the moment she is, but she's still doing it. It may be something to look at for yourself, what is so painful for you and how you can come to terms with that so that you make sure that you can focus on her experience, but you don't take it on as your own and start future writing, which, you know, when you're thinking about 
how this is going to look down the line. And you say you don't want her to experience that kind of rejection over and over and break her spirit. Remind yourself, wait, I don't need to worry about next week or 10 years from now. I just need to deal with today. Today she was rejected. So let's deal with today's rejection and don't write the story of the future. I know this is really hard stuff, but this is one of those things that makes preschool a very important place to learn those social cues and those dances that you do so that you can get a little bit better each day at understanding the experience of others so that you're not just worrying about what you want. And lastly, make sure at home there isn't a sense of forced hugs with anyone. So she shouldn't just associate someone wanting to give her a hug with her having to give a hug, nor should she be told, go say goodbye to your friend, give them a hug, because you have to kind of unlearn that habit when you go to preschool, because then you need to ask permission because not everybody wants hugs. And finally, make sure you enlist the preschool teacher to understand maybe a little bit of the social dynamics and help you understand them. And maybe she can help work with your child so that they can practice throughout the day and maybe even notice other points where she might be missing those social cues and how she can better practice. The next question is from someone who says, hi, Dr. Lisa. First, I want to thank you for doing your two podcasts on parents of big reactors. It's the first time I've heard anyone talk about how to try and navigate parenting a child similar to my almost four-year-old son. All of the articles, books, podcasts I have looked at in the past have made me feel like I'm the worst parent because the more common approaches that are constantly promoted do not always work for us. I thought it was really helpful. One thing I'm curious to get your take on is how do you handle the reverse? For example, you're at a church or a family baptism or a wedding where removing your child feels like you're giving them what they want because their poor behavior is caused from them not wanting to be there, or you can't leave because the event is something you have to be at. These seem to be the situations that I always find the hardest with my son. Thank you. Totally hear you. What I would say is that it can feel like doing something like taking your dysregulated child out of a situation that they don't want to be in is giving in. But what I want you to try to reframe it as is my child isn't ready for this situation. I've put them in a situation they're not developmentally ready for, for whatever reason, whether it's that they are not well rested that day or they're hungry or they're cranky or they don't do well in big crowds and they're off their routine. So they don't like change Whatever it is, their nervous system is saying, I can't do this by myself. I need help. And so in those cases, instead of thinking, well, I am giving into them by taking them out of it, try to think I'm helping them as they're developing a more robust nervous system. And in the meantime, I need to help them be in settings where they can be successful. And if they can't be, it's too advanced for them. It's like throwing them in the deep end instead of starting with the shallow end. So for kids who are very easily aroused, they get in high arousal states, especially in these examples, church, baptism, wedding, family gatherings. These things sound like they're first 
not part of the typical routine. And so very sensitive kids tend to do worse in situations that are off their routines. And they might have more people, more noise, more sensory stuff. So there's lots of stuff going on. And our job is to raise the kids that we have. It's not to take care of anybody else in that room other than the politeness of getting your child out because if it's too noisy, it's disruptive for other people. And so over time, they'll mature and their nervous system will mature and they will be able to handle settings a little bit more easily. But in in these cases, you almost don't have a choice because you can't will them into keeping quiet in that kind of setting. And you don't want to be the family that's disruptive while there's, for example, a wedding ceremony going on. But you don't need to reward your child for being disruptive by then going, you know, and celebrating. You can sit outside very calmly, make it sort of boring, but say, look, you're having a hard time. I totally hear you. And so I took you out of that setting. And now we're going to sit here and we'll figure out together when we can go back in. But I really want to discourage everybody from thinking about those moments as giving in because it really is much more about responding to your child's needs with the settings that are a little bit more difficult for them to navigate. And so they just need that co-regulation. And remember, this is an almost four-year-old, so it's a really young kid. This is not forever. This is a very you know, small window of the early childhood that can make things really challenging. Hi, season two, episode 20 touches on the power of play. So my son, especially due to COVID, missed out on so many play opportunities and socializing with his peers. He's now getting out to socialize because of school and extracurriculars, but I've noticed here and there that there's a moment where he gets too rough and another kid gets hurt. Obviously, the episode talks about how that's how the kids will learn, but a few things. One, is it okay for him to play rough with a girl if generally boys are prone to rough and tumble play? There was a situation where he and his friend, who's a girl, were pushing each other back and forth, and the little girl got hurt. It sounds like this is a four-part question. I'm going to answer the first one so we can do this in order and just say that rough play is okay for boys and girls, but it has to be consensual. So if he wants to rough and tumble play with a girl and she doesn't want to do it back, or if it were another boy that doesn't want to, that's when it's not okay. And so it's important just to make sure that it's consensual. Is this friend up for a rough and tumble play? And if not, you just find another activity and let him know. And the second question is, similarly, he's six and his younger brother is two. Do I jump in when they get too intense or if they begin to make each other upset? Do I intervene because they're a different size and ages? So the answer is a little complicated, although for the most part, I would say, while it's important to let siblings kind of play around and roughhouse and even get into their own fights without too much intervention, the age difference between six and two is just too big at that time in their lives. A two-year-old cannot stick up for themselves with a six-year-old. And they can't understand the same things a six-year-old can understand. And so in that case, I would coach them both in what is appropriate and how to pay attention and how to play together. And 
over time, you can give them more and more space to just be let loose on each other. But two years old is just a little too small for a six-year-old to have free reign with them. And the third question here is, when the kids come running to us because someone's hurt, is there anything we should talk to them about after everyone's calmed down? So if one hurts someone, do I talk to them about the hurt? If he comes back and gets hurt, should we talk to him about that? Or do we let it be because they should be able to reflect on their own? I think in general, when kids are doing something that you need to help them understand is not okay, in the heat of the moment is not the time to talk about it because they're not of their sort of open thinking brain. But after, it's absolutely important to talk about it, ask questions, help them learn self-reflection, not because you want to shame them, but because you want to figure out when they're not in the heat of the moment, if they understand what it was about that situation that was or wasn't acceptable. And the fourth part of this question is, is it important to allow him to play with kids that I know are a little bit older and more mature and allow him to play with any kids, even ones that don't have any sense of control or self-regulation? I want him to be able to choose who he plays with, but sometimes he gravitates to playing with the kids that are getting into a lot of trouble. And then he doesn't follow adult directions at all. So in that case, you want to help set kids up for success. So if there are friends that he has a harder time playing with, it doesn't mean you don't allow that play, but maybe you don't promote it. Like you're not making extra play dates with that person for the time being because you're trying to help them be successful. And right now as a team of, you know, a dyad that's playing together, they're not very successful. But if you, you know, if it can't be helped or you really want to help him learn and grow into being able to play with different types of kids, you can have smaller, shorter play dates with that child and plan in advance and talk about the rules and talk about your expectations and really ask your child, because he's sick, so you you can have this conversation, what's your plan if things start to get out of hand? And what does that look like? And see what his suggestions are and see if he can implement them in the moment. And then if he can't, he's not quite ready for that. And you can wait until he's had a little bit more time to cook. Same thing with playing with older kids. It's great to play with mixed-aged kids, but it's also some kids have trouble with it and it's important for you to just kind of pay attention and then you can adjust accordingly. There's no rule. Okay, there's so many more questions. I'm sorry I only could get to a few today, but I am so grateful for all of you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this kind of episode, I know I do them once in a while, but just go ahead and write a review and let me know you want more of them or DM me with questions and I will try to find ways to get back to you. I'm grateful for you. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.